0: I love superhero movies. And the one thing that all superheroes have in common, I think except for Superman, is that they wear a mask. Have you ever felt the way the look on his face described the feeling of just being exposed and being vulnerable? And it's like, oh, where'd my mask go? You know, I think the reality is that it's not just superheroes who wear masks, we all do. Maybe our masks look different and maybe they're designed to, to hide something different. You know, superheroes, they wear a mask to, to hide their identity so that you don't know who they are, so that they can do their superhero thing by night and by day they can be average people. But how is that any different from what we do? We may not wear a, a physical mask. We may not have that, that cool superhero thing to pull over our head. But we all wear masks. We come into church wearing masks, not letting people see the things that are going on under the surface, not letting people see the things that we're struggling with, the pain that we're going through, the sin that is so real in our lives. We go to work and we wear a mask. We go to school and we wear a mask. We go home and we wear a mask, afraid to let our spouse see something that's real inside of us, or afraid that our kids will find out that we're not as perfect as they think or maybe afraid that mom and dad will see something in us that they don't like. We all wear masks. But I think if we're honest about it, all of us secretly want that kind of moment where the mask is pulled off, where you're exposed, you're real, people see you for who you are, and then you're accepted. Did you see that moment for Spider-Man? And I know this is a fictitious movie and it's, Superheroes and comic books and all those things, but did you see that moment? The mask is off and he's laying there and he looks up. And what does the guy say to him? It's okay. It's okay. And what's the kid say? We won't tell anybody. It's okay. We know who you are, but we're not telling anybody. You're safe here. This is a safe place. We all want that in one way or another, don't we? But it's hard for us to let go of perfection. It's hard for us to let go of that that image that we put in front of people and the thing that we tell everybody that we are. It's hard to let go of that. You know, I think most of us, if we're honest, we're stuck trying to measure up, trying to measure up to something that we can't be, trying to measure up to an expectation that we'll never meet. And maybe we've put the expectation on ourselves or maybe someone else has put it on us. But we get stuck in that trap of trying to measure up, trying to be good enough, trying to be able to do the right thing. And really, it's a lot like Old Testament. It's looking at the law. It's looking at God's law for us and going, I just can't do it. But I can't let anybody know that I can't do it because I'm a church. Ever felt that way? We're going to look at quite a bit of Scripture this morning. I'm just going to kind of warn you on the front end. I want you to hear what the Bible says about this issue. I don't want you to hear what Brian Legg says about it, because I can give you my opinion all day long. But I want you to hear what Scripture says to this. And I want you to hear some of the things that specifically the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, because I think he addresses this issue very clearly. So if you have an app on your phone, or if, if you want to turn in your Bible, or it's going to be on the screen, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 19. This is Paul talking to the church at Rome. He says, Obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So basically, all we're doing when we try to measure up to the law, when we try to measure up to this expectation of God, it is only there to show us that we'll never make it. We're never going to measure up, we're never going to be good enough. You know, a lot of times we get stuck in this thought thinking that good behavior is going to get us to heaven. Good behavior is going to make us right with God. It doesn't work that way. Good behavior never gets you there. You can't do it well enough. Let me say it like this. You're not good enough. And neither am I. Because we're in this boat together. We're not good enough. And can't be good enough. But thankfully Paul continues. Look at what he says starting in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Did you hear that? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We are all sinners, plain and simple. We're all separated from God. We've all done things that break that perfect relationship with God. Every single one of us. We are broken people. And the only reason that we can have relationship with God is because of his grace. It's the only reason. Look at what it says in verse 24. It is because of that undeserved kindness. That is what grace is. Undeserved kindness. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to work hard enough to achieve it. Grace is undeserved, unmerited. It is God's favor in our lives when we don't deserve it. Plain and simple. That is the picture of grace. But see, the focus here is on God. It's not on us, because this is not something we can do. Only God can give us grace. Only God can do that. Too many times we get caught in this trap of thinking, well, I've just got to do a little more, be a little better. And yeah, I understand grace, and I've accepted God's forgiveness, but I've still got to be a little better. You ever feel that way? You know, I look at this, and I think about this concept of grace, and I go, (sighs) thank goodness I don't have to be perfect. Thank goodness I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to have the answer to everything. I don't have to be good enough. And you know, there's actually a flip side to this coin too because some of us understand grace well. And we understand this concept of God's forgiveness and we realize that God will forgive us and extend grace to us no matter what we've done. And sometimes we take that for granted. And we really use God's grace. Kind of like a debit card that has no limit on it where you just swipe it and go, well, I messed up, forgive me again. Well, I messed up, hand it out again. And he does, but that's not the expectation. Grace is not designed to be something that we just waste or something that we throw away. It's not a free pass to sin. It doesn't give us permission to do that. Look at what Paul continues to say just a couple chapters later. In Romans chapter 6 it says do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Because God extends grace, because he gives forgiveness, because he gives grace freely, that does not give us permission to live any way we want to live. It doesn't give us permission to keep on sinning. It doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want and say, well, it's okay. God's going to take care of it. He will if we confess to him and we share those things and we ask him for forgiveness. But it's not permission just to go about doing wrong and doing whatever we want. We still have a standard to live up to. You see, grace is about freedom. And it's about freedom in Christ. It's about experiencing how free we can be in the love of God. While slavery, it says very clearly, while sin is slavery, sin is bondage. Sin holds us down. It keeps us from being the person that God wants us to be. It keeps us from being the person that we want to be. And it doesn't matter what sin it is we're talking about. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to something. It doesn't matter if you struggle with anger. It doesn't matter if you struggle with sexual sin. It doesn't matter if you just choose not to trust God or you you live in fear with insecurities or, or other things in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Sin binds us. It holds us down. It pushes us down. It keeps us from being who God wants us to be. It keeps us from experiencing that freedom. And see, here's the problem that most of us have. We experience something in life There's something that is binding in our life, and what do we do? We go, well, I've got to be better than that. For example, let me say you struggle with anger at home, and I'm sure none of you ever have this problem, but if you have kids, I guarantee you struggle with anger at some point. I mean, let's let's be honest. I do. I struggle with anger with my kids because they don't follow my directions. They don't do the things I tell them I want them to do, and on top of that, I have a problem with control. And so when my kids are not in my control and they're not doing the things that I tell them they need to do, then it causes the anger. Ever been there? Am I the only one? These are the things we experience. And what do we do to try to break free? We go, well, I can't be angry anymore. I can't be mad. And so we focus on the anger. And we focus on the lack of control. And we go, well, I've just got to let go of that. Well, I've just got to let it go. And what happens? What happens? About the time you're saying to yourself, I've just got to let go. I've got to quit being mad. I've got to get over this control thing. Your kid comes in and does something wrong, right? And you snap again and you yell or you say something that you shouldn't say and you go, oh, there we go again. I just did the same thing. i just got to focus a little harder. I've got to be a little more intentional this time. I can't get angry. I can't focus on this. See, the problem is we're focusing on the problem. We're focusing on the sin, We're focusing on the thing that's wrong in our life instead of focusing on Christ. Because when we begin to focus on Christ and we begin to focus on the freedom that He offers and we begin to focus on the deliverance that He promises, we see a whole different perspective. Our focus shifts. Focusing on Christ leads to freedom. Because the reality is that we are not perfect. And we'll never be perfect. Here on this earth, we will never be perfect. We might be better, and we might keep getting better and keep improving, but we won't be perfect. The only way we will be perfect is when we are restored to relationship with God through Christ. When we are with Christ, then we will experience perfection, but not until then. But see, we're perfect in God's eyes because of Christ. And let me explain the difference to you. Positionally, we are perfect if you've been here before, you probably have seen Ed do this illustration where he takes out the two pens and he exchanges them and he talks about how you know Christ gives us himself, and so therefore we are presented perfect in front of God because we're holding the pen of Christ instead of us. Have you ever seen that illustration? But positionally we are perfect. Look at what Paul says about it in Romans. One more chapter over in Romans 7. Follow along here. Romans 7, starting with verse 14. It says, so the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Think about this for a minute. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a guy that we look at and say is a giant in the faith. You look at him in every aspect of all the letters that he writes and the things that he says, and you go, This guy is almost perfect. He's got it together. And what is he saying? I want to do what's right, but I don't. Instead, I do what I hate. And he goes on. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, that shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do I'm not really the one doing wrong It is sin living in me that does it I've discovered this principle of life That when I want to do what is right I inevitably do what is wrong You ever feel that? I love God's law with all my heart But there's another power within me That is at war with my mind And this power makes me a slave To the sin that is still within me Oh what a miserable person I am The Apostle Paul Oh, what a miserable person I am. I just can't get this right. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. See, here's Paul wrestling with all of this stuff, and he, it's basically showing us that in practice, We'll never be perfect. We're always going to wrestle with this. We're always going to have temptation. There's always going to be some kind of sin in our life that seems to still jump out and bite us. There's still going to be something where we mess up. There's still going to be that one little failure that we just can't seem to get right. It doesn't give us permission just to do the wrong things. But the reality is we are not perfect. And we won't be. This will be a constant battle while we are here on earth. But I love what he goes on to say, starting in chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen to that one verse again. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. See, when God looks at you and me, if we have made the decision to follow Christ, if we have made that decision to confess our sins and to ask Him to come into our heart, to ask Him to be a part of our life, God no longer sees us. Because we're failures. Let's admit it. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We still mess up, whether we let anybody else see it or not. We're all broken. But when God looks at us, He sees Christ, He sees perfection. Because he doesn't see us and he doesn't see our sinful nature and he doesn't see the things that trip us up and the things that bind us and hold us down. He sees his son. He sees perfect love, he sees grace. That's what God sees when he looks at us. And so we are perfect in our position with God, while yet in our practice, we still struggle. Because we're human, we still have that sinful nature as a part of us and we still struggle with all those things within us, we still struggle with those evil desires. See, and I think there's a problem here because there's this tension between understanding grace and that grace covers it all and it it extends freedom to us, but yet there's a responsibility to obedience. And you go, well, you know, how do you wrestle through that? Grace and obedience, you know, what does that look like? Grace covers it all, but yet there's an expectation to follow the law at some level. To be obedient to the things God tells us we should do, to be obedient to be the person that He wants us to be. Well, how do you rectify that? See, here's the difference. For most of us, we make it a task. It's like a checklist kind of thing of, oh, I've got to do these things, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then I'll be right with God. Then I'll have it together. Then I'll be okay. And it's not about a checklist, it's not about task, it's about relationship. It is all about relationship, it is about heart. It is being obedient because we love God. Not just because God said so. Doesn't it make a difference when your kids choose to obey you because they love you and they respect you instead of because you're standing over them threatening them with their life? Doesn't it make a difference? Think about it. When your kids respond in obedience because you had a simple conversation and you were able to express to them this is the right thing and here's why. And they go, oh... I get it. I'll do it that way. Doesn't it make you feel good? Why? Because it's relationship. Because you see that they trust you. Because you see that they are gaining understanding from their relationship with you. It's not a threatening thing. It's not you standing over them saying you have to do this. It's them going, ah, I get it. The light bulb goes on. That's relationship. That's the picture. And there's this constant tension between this love, being obedient because of the love, or having love and then being obedient, and we fight back and forth all the time. You know, why am I being obedient? Because it's all about motivation. With God, it's all about that intention of heart. It's all about your motivation, your heart involved in it. Are you being obedient just because He says so? Or are you being obedient because you love Him? But yet, there's the flip side of that coin, to where sometimes you don't really feel the love. You don't feel in love. You're not feeling the loving relationship, but yet you choose to be obedient because you know it's the right thing to do and it leads to a loving relationship. But it still comes back to heart, it still comes back to motivation. Why are you choosing to be obedient? Is it so you can check off the boxes and be good enough? Is that why you're doing it? Or are you doing it because you want that relationship with God and you want to understand it better? It's the same with your spouse. There are moments where you feel in love and you want to do something special for your spouse to honor them and to make them feel loved and you just want to be with them. And there's other moments where you'd rather strangle them. But instead, you choose to do the right thing anyway and you show them love because you know it's the right thing to do. And what happens? Usually when you choose to show love, it leads back to that loving feeling. And it leads back to that feeling of, wow, our relationship's right, things are clicking you know, we're, we're clicking on all eight cylinders here. Everything's working. Have you ever noticed that? But see, our motivation still in that is to restore relationship and to be in relationship with our spouse. If I were to wrap all this up and put it just kind of in a nutshell picture for us, I think it's as simple as this, even though we make it so complex. Following Christ, experiencing grace is plain and simple, a picture of freedom. It's taking off that mask. It's being able to be who we are, be real, before God, before others, and be okay with that. And allowing God to restore us, allowing God to restore that relationship, it's freedom to admit that we are broken, all of us, that we're all messed up, that we all have our own issues, that we have sin in our lives, that we have our fears, we have our insecurities, we have our trust issues, we have all this stuff. But we're no different than anybody else. Maybe our sins are a little different. Maybe our struggles are a little different. But we're all in the same boat. We all have the same struggles. And it's freedom to realize and accept that we are right with God only because of what Christ did. Only because God chose to extend grace. Not because of what I did. Not because of what you've done not because of anything that we've checked off on our list, not because of any good behavior, but only because of God's grace. Because He chose to send His Son in the form of man and to allow Him to die for our sin. He looked back in history and died for the sins of those who came before Him. He looked ahead in history and died for the sins who would come after us. And that is the only reason that we can experience grace and experience that freedom in Christ. So how does this apply to us this morning? What's this mean? I want to challenge you to do a few things. The first thing is this. I want to challenge you to take off the mask. Take it off. Be real. Realize that this is a safe place. God loves you exactly like you are. And I don't care how much you wear the mask. God knows who you are. We're wasting our time wearing a mask in front of God. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden where they're, they're hiding behind the bushes as God's walking through the garden looking for them and he's calling for them. Adam, Eve, where are you? And Adam says, well, we hid because we heard you coming and we knew that we had sinned. Like God couldn't find them. Think about it. We do this in our relationship with God. We wear that mask and we try to conceal the parts of us that he already sees and knows. And he chooses to love us anyway. He still loves us in spite of all of those things. I look around the room and I know many of you and I know that this is a safe place because you realize you're broken the same as I do. You realize you're messed up the same as I do. And so it's a place that you can take off the mask and be real and be accepted for who you are. I think the second thing that applies here is we have to choose to trust Christ. We have to choose to accept his freedom because grace does us no good if we don't choose to accept the free gift. God hands it out as a free gift, but if we don't choose to accept it, We missed it. It's on us to choose to accept that. And it's up to us to focus on Christ rather than the sin in our lives and rather than the fears and the insecurities. The next one's a little harder. And this is specifically for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christ follower, be careful here. Avoid judgment. Because you know what? When people start being real, when you start seeing the other side of people that they've hidden for so long, it's really easy to go, oh, well, I got it all together. I'm better than them. Think about it a minute. I know I'm bad about that. We all have this temptation in our lives because you look at somebody else and for us as humans, we want to find someone who's a little worse off than we are, who's got a little bigger problem than what we have in life to go, oh, it's okay. I got it together. I'm better than them but be careful. Look at what Paul says a little earlier in the same letter. Romans 2, starting with verse 1. You may think that you can condemn such people. He's been talking about sin here. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. Think about that. What are the things you notice in other people? What are the things that you see in others that you're so judgmental about? Usually it's the stuff that you have in your own life that you're covering up, isn't it? And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Be careful. Watch out for this. Because we need to be a safe place where people can be real. If there's nowhere else in the world that people can be real and be themselves, it should be right here at TBA Church. Right here in our church family. This should be the place where they can be open and real to who they are and going on the journey and have permission to do that. Feel safe. And then I think the last thing that applies here is we have to choose to confess our sin. See, confession of sin is really twofold. It's part of coming to Christ. It's being willing to speak out loud and say the things that we see in our own lives that are our faults, that are our problems, that are our brokenness. And say that before God, He knows already. But it's something that it does for us to be able to say that, to go, God, here's the things in my life that I know I've messed up, where I know I've failed, where I know I'm wrong. And to say that out loud and to admit that and to confess those things to him. And it's important, but it's also important that we confess to others. And let me speak to that for a minute because you have to be careful about who you speak to. There's a reason we wear a mask all the time. Because we're protecting ourselves. And part of that is okay. There's times we need to protect ourselves from others. But find someone that you feel safe with. Find someone you can trust a trusted friend who will hold you accountable, who will listen to you, who will pray with you, who will encourage you, who will walk on the journey with you, that you can confess those things too because you will never experience freedom until you come to the place that you can confess those things and put them out there. Until you can speak it, you will never experience that freedom. And the Bible says quite a bit about this. In 1 John 1, 9 it says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. But in James chapter 5, 16, it says also confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Brian, you guys can come on up. Here's the thing. We won't experience this kind of freedom that Paul talks about unless we choose to confess. And all these other applications are important because we need to know that this is a safe place. We need to be able to take off the mask We need to be able to do all of those things. But confession is huge. And I'm going to challenge you here in a minute to step outside of your comfort zone and to do something that we rarely ever ask you to do here at TBA. But I'm going to ask you to walk forward, to spend some time with God, to spend some time with a friend, to confess some things in your life. And maybe it's sin. I think ultimately it's going to be sin because we all have that. But maybe it's even just as simple as coming forward to say, I recognize that I'm broken like everybody else. I recognize that I don't have it all together. I recognize that, God, I need you to speak into my life and I need you to show me that grace and show me that freedom. Maybe you need to bring somebody with you. You Maybe you need to extend forgiveness or accept forgiveness. Maybe you need somebody just to stand and pray with you to be able to confess those sins to them. You know, we never would ask you to stand and confess your sin to the church. That's, I don't think that's what the Bible is saying when we read through those passages. But the church is God's people, and the way that we experience God's love is through His people. And when we confess our sins to someone who is trustworthy and who is walking on the journey with us, that is where we experience freedom. So now I'd like for you just to sit and think for a moment and listen to the words of the song that Brian and Jen are going to sing. Think about in your own life how this applies to you. And then in just a moment, I'm going to come back and share just a little more and encourage you give you some instructions as to how we'll respond this morning.